This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. All right, work-life strategy. Here we go. I want to jump right into the notes uh, because, again, I want to get further every week as we do this. Work-life strategy. Here's my definition. To lift our life at work to a new level. How many are experiencing your life at work being lifted at least a little bit to a new level? You're feeling kind of encouraged and motivated and perspective-wise, you can see what's going on. To lift our life at work to a new level of purpose and influence. Now, that is really what we're after, not just in the workplace, but every place of our life. We want to be people of influence. And that's what work life is all about. That turns everyday work into a dynamic mission. Well, that's what the kingdom of God should be. Every day is a mission. Every day starts with prayer. Every day starts with meditation on the word. Every day you're looking for that open door. Every day you're looking to be the best worker. There's a mission. There's an influence in your life. There's a salt. There's a light. There's, a, there's something going on inside of you about your work that makes it your mission. That's what we're after in this particular series. Work life as our mission field. Now, I want you Stop here and have you take this down. Work life as our mission feels what I'm doing today. Our workplace, and I keep saying it all the time, is our God place. It's where God puts you. Even if it's not the place you'll stay and you want something different, it's still at this moment in time, it's where God has placed you. Our workplace is our God place designed to demonstrate his love as we embrace our mission. And so our Our purpose has something to do with coming to grips and embracing the idea that it's a God place. It's my place to be the best worker possible where God has put me. And I want to demonstrate something at my job, with my people, with my world. And the demonstration is I want that love, the love of God, demonstrating his love as we embrace our mission to expand God's kingdom one person at a time. So the expansion of God's kingdom never takes place in masses. Jesus dealt with individuals. He taught the masses. He changed the individuals. And so when it comes to the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is built upon one-on-one. It's not built upon services like this. Services like this equip you to be the one-on-one person. The kingdom of God is built one-on-one. People are led to Jesus one-on-one. People find purpose in life when someone ministers to them. And so you're the someone, you're the ambassador, you're the person that's going to do this, and you have a mandate. Your mandate is for you to come to grips with your job. It's my God place. I'm going to be a great worker. I'm not going to do what the world does and with their mouth, with their attitude. I'm going to be a, a change maker. I'm going to make an atmosphere with my job that is so awesome. And then I'm actually going to be a demonstrator of Christ's love. I'm going to actually look for the open doors. I'm going to do something with my job in prayer that will make it my mission field. The mandate. Here's your mandate. Genesis 1.28. This is your mandate, my mandate. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful. Now the word of the Lord to you about your job is be fruitful. Multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. 
have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. What is this mandate? The mandate is the kingdom of God covers everything. There's no place that God does not rule. There is no area on earth where there's a sign God's not here. It doesn't happen. God rules every arena of life, including your workplace. God is already there. And God wants you to be fruitful in your workplace. He wants you to multiply in your workplace. He wants you to have dominion, not in a carnal way, but dominion adds in ruling with Christ in your life way. God has something in mind about your workplace because that's his place. That's his place. Abraham Kuyper, 19th century Dutch, Dutch theologian and, and, and prime minister. He was one of the greatest theologians of his time and still of our time. He makes this statement. There is not one square inch. Remember, he's the prime minister. There's not one square inch of the entire creation about which Jesus Christ does not cry out. This is mine. This belongs to me. There's not one square inch in the entire creation where Jesus doesn't cry out, this is mine. This belongs to me. Now take your hands and put it around your job, your school, your workplace, your college dorm, your, wherever you're spending your time right now, preparing for work, in work, professional, cleaning teeth, doctor, lawyer, teacher, blue collar, lumberjack, whatever you are, put your hands around your business and your job and say out loud with me, this is mine. This is what the Lord is saying through you. Come on, say it again. Now say out loud, all of it. it. Now a little bit louder, this is mine. mine. Now, when you go to work, if you enter some doors or if you drive, however you work in your work life, your workplace, I want you to begin to say in your prayers and even as you go to work, the Lord says, this is mine. The Lord has proclaimed this is his. This is his business. These are his people. This is what we are all about. Now, God, I'm putting it back into your hands. I forgot. I thought it was my business, but it's not. It's yours. Thought it was my job, but it's not. It's yours. It belongs to you. Every square inch, the kingdom of God, it's yours. That's your mandate to remember that it's God's. All right? The mission you have, here's how it is in simplicity. You don't look for another place to be used by God. Quit looking for other places. You're in the place right now. The God opportunities are enormous. Open your eyes. Open your eyes. Well, you know, I'm just waiting. Someday I can really work for the church. Forget about it. We don't need you to work for the church. You know, I'm just waiting for some day where I can be a mission person and go on a short-term mission field and really get what it feels like to be on the mission field, forget about that. Maybe you still should do that someday, but you're already on the mission field. You already have a mission field. You're already right there with the unbeliever, the secular minor, the atheist, the agnostic, the person who has a postmodern mindset, the person who has no idea about scripture. They're anti-God. You don't live in a Christian nation where everybody is born again, everybody at your job, everybody in your school. We live in a nation where there are millions of people that know not Christ. 
Africa is doing better than us. They need to send some missionaries from Africa to America. Argentina, Brazil, doing better than us. So you have to see America as a nation that needs missionaries, and you're it. You are a cross-cultural missionary. You move into areas that are difficult. You move into a culture that has a tolerance mentality and a philosophy about God, church, and the Bible that is so far out there from where it was 100 years ago, for sure. You live in a hostile environment. You live in an environment where people don't want to really talk about God, but they might talk about God, a God, but not God of the Bible. Jesus, well, he was just a good man. Church, that's a whole nother discussion that people don't even want to go there hard and talk about church because I don't need it. I just need an experience and I need something spiritual and church doesn't do that. And so you're a cross-cultural missionary. You are moving from the kingdom culture to the workplace culture. And you're a missionary every day. I've trained missionaries for years and sent missionaries out of our church for decades. I know what it's like to get them through language school and the get them through the cultural shock. And the first three years you're on the mission field, it's like, really, you're not very fruitful because you're just acclimated into what it means to be on the mission field and try to speak the language and learn all the different customs and, and try to find a way. Our missionaries are still five and seven years and, and Laos and some of these places, they're still finding their foot in their teaching, teaching in English schools, trying to find ways into the homes because it's a whole nother culture. I want you to understand that in America, you are in the same scenario. When you take the kingdom of God from your heart into that workplace, it's another world. It is another culture. And you have to be ready to do something about that. It's your mission field. If you believe that, every day you go to work, you're looking for what God is doing through your mission, through your mission field, through your influence, through where God has you. It's, it's an amazing thing that's going to happen. If that's your attitude, then... This would be your faith level, the power of one, the power of one. The power of one is Ezekiel 22.30. You're the one. Remember what I said, and it's a kingdom principle. I hope you heard it. Kingdom of God moves forward with ones, one-on-one. So I sought for a man. Wouldn't just put the word person, an individual. So I sought for an individual among them who would make a wall. Now, I want the word to come to you, Ezekiel 20 to 30, that you're the person that God's looking for to be the wall builder in your workplace. He wants you to stand in the gap at your workplace before me on behalf of the land, on behalf of your land. Your land would be where God has you, that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Now, that's the, the saddest piece of that scripture is that God went to the prophets, the priests, the princes, and finally the people. Four levels of people God went to, and the end result was, I couldn't find anybody. I couldn't find one person to be a wall builder, a gap stander, and take the land back. Not one. I went to the prophets, and they said, that's not our, no, we're not going to get involved with that. Went to the princes, they were so involved with their stuff. I went... And it goes through that chapter. You read it, Ezekiel 22. It ends up in verse 30 where God says, I found no one. Now, when it comes to the workplace and God's looking for missionaries, you're the one. Wherever you are, you're the one. The power of placement, all right? The power 
of placement. Think about this scripture. What an awesome scripture. For if you remain completely silent, now just take the Esther scenario and drop it on your job as if God was speaking to you about it right now. Well, if you remain silent, um, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place. Well, I want to be that place. But you and your father's house will perish, yet who knows? Who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Who knows? That you were not placed at that job for such a time as this. Maybe you will be there for a year and move to another one, but in that year's time, you want to look back and say, God had me there for this reason. Maybe it will be some revelation that needs to come to your heart. I can't possibly see how God has anything for me in this job. Maybe you can't see because you're looking at the wrong angle. You're, you're looking for the wrong things. If you're looking for the mission field work, yes, God can use you. And yes, God has something for you. And yes, he has placed you. And yes, you have a voice. And yes, you have influence. And yes, yes, yes. But you have to have a, an attitude. Yes. William Wilberforce, how many know who that is? Most everybody would know that he's the guy that gave his life to stop slavery. Three days after he died, the first bill started to pass. He never saw it. William Wilberforce made a serious commitment to follow Jesus. He was already a professional. He went to Pastor John Newton. How many know who John Newton is? John Newton, slave trader. Now remember, William is trying to stop that, so he says, I think I'll go talk to that pastor because he used to do what I'm trying to stop. Surely he can give me counsel. He went to John Newton, slave trader turned pastor, wrote Amazing Grace, that guy, to discuss whether he should, and this was his question, this was William's question, should I leave the parliament and go to seminary and become a pastor? That's what he went and talked to John Newton about. Should I leave Parliament? Because he was in Parliament. That's where his voice was, but he was being shredded every time he opened his mouth. He says, I want to know, Pastor Newton, with my ability, should I leave the Parliament and go to seminary and become a Baptist pastor? Thank God that John Newton had a perspective. He says, you know, William... Maybe God has you in the parliament for a reason. But I love to preach. You know, John, I'm a good, I, I know you can preach. You're a great lay preacher, and he was. Had a great heart for the Bible. He's quite a Bible teacher, actually. But he was a parliament man. And there he was persecuted. His fruit was almost uh, invisible. For decades, he saw nothing happen. Except criticism and why? Because slavery was part of the economy. It, it, it was worth millions of dollars to England. It wasn't a moral decision. It was a finance decision. And because slavery has now become their uh, workforce and slavery was how they were able to make their profits and their margins and do their exports and everything they were doing as a nation for them to take slavery out of their country would have absolutely wrecked their economy. So it was a money problem, not a moral problem. 
They were voting economy. William, over the years, John Newton helped him and others. He had a team of people he met with on a weekly basis. He finally overcame, got the ear of the parliament, got the first bill. The first time, I mean, you read his story. It's an amazing story to read. How many times they said, no, no, no. We are not going to hear you anymore. He'd find another way, another way, another way. My point is, wherever God has you, be fruitful. Brian works for? And you have how many employees in that company? 20,000. And you're a manager, professional. You talk with people. I will never see my whole life. They probably will not come to this campus or any other campus. But boy, what a mission field Brian has. He can do emails. He can do newsletters. He can do Bible study. He can get to know key managers. He can have a voice in that company. We thought about hiring Brian. Every time we talk about pastors, because we have need of pastors, Brian's name has come up. What about Brian Feeney? Loyal, faithful, smart, servant, Bible man. Dad was a pastor. Dad was an elder at Abeloop. I've known his family almost my whole life. I know you don't know that, but I, I know the Phoenix forever. And every time it comes up, we back off. Say, you know, no. God has him where he's at. He's fruitful. Leave him alone. Why? Because... That should be the measuring rod for a person's life. Not what the church needs to function, but what the church can give the community to be healed. And that's a whole different mindset on how we go about it. And I'm practicing what I'm preaching. I'm not just preaching a good series. We cut out all kinds of program and stuff so that even the people we have on staff can give more time to our city and our workplace and our community and et cetera, so that we don't just churchize ourselves to death and make ourselves Noah's Ark. Noah's Ark's great, except for when you close the door and all the animals go potty, it smells. <laughs> and so that's what happens with church. After a while, it begins to not feel as good it doesn't smell as good. It doesn't work as good. Why? Because we were never meant to be the animals in the ark. We were supposed to be the fruitful multipliers outside of the ark. The ark was never God's program. Can I hear an amen? Now, how do we do that? You do it. You lift up your job. You talk to young people in careers. You encourage people to get into that. You tell people when they say, I'm thinking about getting into politics. Politics, are you kidding me? You're going to go into politics? Our government is so horrible and it's so tough out there and politics will kill you. Where else should a Christian die but in a place where it might kill you? That's where we are meant to be. A voice in those places. Anybody can preach to the ark. It takes real faith to preach to that other side. It might sound like good preaching and I'm really bold and we can do it and then you get into that workplace and all of a sudden there's nine of them and one of you and you realize you gotta do something about this but you don't know how. You are the real preacher. 
You're the missionary. You're the faith person. I remember, because I, I worked at a lot of jobs before I became a pastor. I worked myself through college. My parents did not give me one thin dime. That was their philosophy. Old school. You want it? Go get it. We ain't paying for nothing. So they didn't. So I worked myself through every college degree I've ever had. I paid for And so I worked two jobs and this and went to school. I know what it's like to be at a job and try to witness. And then to have people slam dunk. And then it's so embarrassing if you're in Bible college and you're taking Bible and they ask you questions you can't answer. (laughs) That's embarrassing. They say, well, you're a Bible student, aren't you? Yeah. Well, what do you think about that? I don't know. That's a, what do you think? What does God think? I don't know. God, I don't know if God's thinking about that. I don't know. Sometimes there are tough questions like, why are there so many religions in the world? Well, because they're all wrong and we're right. <laughs> Time out. Well, do you think everybody that never even heard the name of Jesus and they don't pray your salvation prayer will go to hell or heaven? What do you teach? They've never even seen a Bible, heard any scripture at all, will God send them to hell? Well, I'm not God. And I don't know. God will have to figure that out, I think. But you, don't you say that, well, those are hard questions. Well, what's the difference between you and any other religion? Well, there's several. Like what? Uh, Well, there's several. All of a sudden, you, you start having to answer stuff about your own Christianity. And as soon as you open your mouth, you find out how much you don't know. How much you better find out. How you should deal with that person. It's not right to say to people, it doesn't matter what you believe, and it doesn't matter what you say, if you don't accept Jesus, you are going to hell. <laughs> and then they come back to church, tell their friends, I am a witness at my job. You are a pain in the neck. That's what you are. That's not a witness. That's a pain. Jesus gets a little embarrassed with you. Even the angels go, ooh, ooh. Wish you wouldn't say that. We're moving on. Okay, into the workplace. Here we go. Understand the soil challenge you have at your workplace. Understand the soil challenge. Now, if you get just this one principle, it will help you so much in the workplace. Become a soil analyst, a soil interpreter, a a soil knowledgeable person. Not all soil is the same. Not all hearts are the same. Timing, season, depth, everything about the heart changes. For you to witness is not just you leaving a touch card. It's okay for us. We try to get people to Easter and we will and we'll have people respond. It's, it's a way that we have a trickle of people, even if it's two or 300 that get saved. It's a trickle compared to how many unchurched people in our area. That is a trickle. The real evangelism will take place when you journey with people long enough to bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus. And that's never, hardly ever, a one-time encounter. It's a journey. 
It's like you going to the mission field, getting off the plane and saying, okay, everyone's going to get saved that I talk to because I'm a missionary. And I got the answer and I'm the light of the world. And here we come, baby. I'm going to make it happen. It might be years. It might be years. One of the missionaries in India, he was a missionary there for 40 years. After 40 years, he had 17 converts. 17. 17. Of course, those 17 multiplied and it became a solid movement. But at least he had enough understanding of kingdom that it's one person at a time. One person at a time. Okay, Matthew 13, it's the parable of the soil and it gives you four kinds. Would you write this down? I don't think I have this on a slide. So just write this down. The four soils, the soil is people's hearts, you know that. And the four soils that that you will encounter, one, wayside, the wayside soil. Those who were once interested in Jesus, but lost interest. It's a wayside soil. They have various interests. They get easily distracted. They jump on a lot of hobby wagons and religious stuff, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. They had some interest at one time. Two, stony soil. People with stony soil, and there's different ways to interpret I'm just giving you mine. People who have been hurt by actions of Christians. And they've hardened their heart because they're hurt by life and their interpretation, God, church, Christians. They would rather read the Bible and pray on their own. They don't want to be brought into any kind of community because they have a stony heart. They're hardened toward that. Third is thorny soil. Well, the Bible's pretty clear in this one. People who have roots of bitterness. The roots of bitterness that grow in their heart that react against God and the gospel because they're bitter. They're not bitter toward the invisible God because they don't know him, but they're bitter because life has thrown them a curveball. They're bitter because their wife left them or their daughter died or their father has cancer or, or on and on it might go. I don't understand. You, you talk about God and mercy and love and grace and all this bad stuff happens to people. Harden, root of bitterness in their heart about life, about God. How do you reach that person? By telling them, get your act together. No, I don't think so. You know, you just have a bitterness about everything. You have a rotten attitude. Of course they do because they have a root of bitterness. You have to somehow find a way into their life. How will that happen? Good soil. Fourth is good soil. Those who are ready to hear. Those who have have observed you long enough to be open to what you might say. That 25% of the people at your workforce maybe would be good soil. 25%. One out of four. And the good soil would be if they've watched you long enough that they trust what you're going to say. They watched you long enough that you lived the gospel. They watched you long enough. Now, if you have a bump along the way where you take a detour and do something really crummy at the job or something really carnal and you ruin your testimony or you live a little bit on the edge of the wrong side, they might have thought about talking to you, but now they're not. So now you have good soil but you have some barriers. Now you've got to overcome some stuff even to get to the point where you can speak to them. 
the soil at your workplace. All right. Recognize, I think this would help you, recognize the common ground. Recognize the common ground. If you want to talk to people, go ahead and put all of these up. Recognize the common ground that you could start with with any person at your job. The common ground of common interest. Talk to people if you're a sports person or a fishing person or a boating person or if they are or politics. Be careful with politics. Golf, fly fishing, cooking, Super Bowl, March Madness. By the way, my bracket in the CBC contest is tied for first with Brian. Just thought you should know that. March Madness or whatever... Find common ground and start talking to them because you know they have, it's amazing when you know a person has a passion for something and you bring it up, they come alive. If they like to cook, they're watching the cooking channel, they're doing stuff. Well, I would be lost for that one. I'd say, you watch the cooking channel. Wow. (laughs) That's, that's, and you know that chef, what's his name? And he wrote the, yeah, yeah, that's, that's awesome. I, 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 I'm sorry, I'm just not into cooking. I don't know any of the chefs. My wife does. And she'll point out and say something. I say, so what? Just cook a grilled cheese and get on with life. I mean, what's with, what's with all this? You know, so it's something that you got to get a handle on. Common needs. Someone who needs help moving. A ride to work. Financial advice. Parenting questions. Oh, Wow. What, if you want to get into someone's common ground and you're a parent, just start talking about kids. They will not stop talking. And then if you offer, hey, I read this little book that really helped me in understanding my teen. You, you understand your teen? Well, I, didn't, I, I said I read a book that helped you understand your teen. And, and I'm trying. Yeah, I am. I'm, I love that. And so all of a sudden there's common ground. Now you have something to really talk about, something that they feel comfortable with. Common gifts and talents, love for music, playing an instrument, writing, photography, kickboxing. My, my, one of my personal assistants, Sonny, the little girl that works for me, she's a kickboxer. So if you mess with Sonny, she's going to kick you where you need to go. <laughs> so you would never think, talking to her, that she would ever know how to do that. Shake hands with her. Oh, her handshake is just evil think, what do you do? She kickboxer. Well, she's going to be bringing some kickboxers to church. Nice ones. <laughs> common location, common grace, build bridges, common courtesies, common kindness, getting to know the names, the birthdays, the things about the person that could change their life. Okay, last Okay, I'll, I'll put up one more slide. <laughs> and, you, and you can go home with this thought because we'll pick it up in the next message. One more slide. Mission Field Faith Conversations. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. Colossians chapter 4, verse 5 and 6. I love this scripture in this translation. Use your heads as you live and work among outsiders. Is that not a great translation? Use your heads as you live and work among outsiders. The Bible has something to say about this. The Bible says, don't miss a trick. That's in a positive way. 
Make the most of every opportunity. That's what I should be doing. Be gracious in your speech. Everyone smile and say, good morning. It goes a long ways. Calling people by the right name, getting people a cup of coffee, going by their desk and dropping off a Starbucks cup for them. And just little acts of kindness, graciousness, saying thank you. How many times do people do things, no one ever says thank you? Little courtesies. Working with the outside, it's not hard. If we do the little things, the big things will take care of themselves. People want somebody that loved them. We'll listen to them. Stand to your feet.